You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm host of this wonderful podcast and to finish up on our, I guess you would call it position-ish preview, I'm joined by Tony East from the West Side Indianapolis News and Forbes.com. Tony, how are you? I am great. I'm looking forward to talking about the front court guys. And what is Adam? Not only so, not only our last show of pre the season starting, because next week we'll have shows talking about actual basketball games. But it's the last time we're recording in September, which is wild because I was blown away to realize it's October for you listening now. The the, the stuff flew by, which means the Pacers regular season started this month. So these preview questions, you know, it might seem like the season's far away, but they're important for the season that starts incredibly soon. So just like yesterday, we are going to this time to do 10 front court players. We did 10 back court players on yesterday's podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, go check that out on the podcast feed or whoever you listen to this podcast. But reverse order, we're going to go alphabetical again. So we'll preview TJ Warren, Terry Taylor, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Isaiah Jackson, Justin Holiday, Nate Hinton. Tori Craig, O'Shea Bursett, and we'll start with the third-year center out of, I now forget what country, Goga Biatazde. What is your question for him? Uh, my question is, when will you learn where Georgia, the country? Georgia, that's right. I, I, I didn't want to say the wrong country, so that's why I, I couldn't remember which one it was. That's right. it's <laughs> I understand the, that. I understand. State. My yeah. question for Goga calls back to media day. We heard Kevin Pritchard talk about him a little bit, the thoughts about him coming up this season, and KP said, you know, we know his defense is good. That was part of what we liked when we scouted him over in Europe, but he's got to make some shots. He's got to finish some plays. And he took a big step back in that department last year, even though he shot better from three last season, he shot horribly from inside the arc compared to his rookie year. His, he shot 43% from the field. Uh, true shooting percentage was exactly the same despite ample opportunity last season. So Goga's got to just make some shots. He's got some cleverish moves with a nice little, Hook shot. He's got a smooth jumper. Like I, it seems like he should be making more threes than he is. Uh, so he's got to make some effing shots if he wants to play uh, and and stay on the court when he's in there. I think that's going to be big for him this year and and earning a rotation spot. Yeah, I think when the Pacers drafted him, we were kind of told that he could be at his best someday. A like combination or maybe not a combination, but a better like three point shooting version of Turner, right. Where he would have the size and lesson to like protect the rim, but could shoot like 40% because he shot really well overseas yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, but we have really not, not seen that yet. Um, for well, me, you know where we have, can I, can I call to a different player? Sure. For a second Edmund Sumner, right. For three seasons, it was like, Oh, this guy's not a shooter. His NBA three stats are awful, but in the G league, Sumner was always a good shooter. Right. So it made you think, Oh, maybe he can do it. So Goga's rookie year in the NBA, he was 8 of 42 from three. That looks terrible. It's 19%. Goga also played in the G League for 250 minutes his rookie year and hit 36% of his threes, right? So, like, I think eventually it'll click for him, and we've seen it click for him in other pro leagues in Europe. So I think the three is something that that he has or should click for him soon. But just in general, like, taking a step back inside the arc, he just has to finish plays better. Yeah, I mean, he's only taken 121 attempts total in his career. That's, like, right. very insignificant. So uh, just yep. small sample size. Um, for my, my question for him is a little bit different. Uh, it's at what point does he ask for a trade this season? Because I, I think both of us 
maybe more me thinks he's not going to find a way in the rotation. Just like doesn't make there's a possibility to find him center minutes unless you're playing him next to Sabonis or a Turner on the bench, which I think will be kind of weird. So at what point does he decide to build? Does he kind of look around and be like, why am I not playing? And does he turn, you know, maybe you know, I, I wrote demand originally called demand trade. Right? I don't think he's not. Like, I don't think he can do either. <laughs> no, but I, I think there could be a sort of like, we see a lot of times with like guys this kind of who aren't in the rotation a lot of times, they'll be like the subtle ESPN report of like, this guy would like to see himself move the trade deadline, right? Or something like that. Or very, I don't think it'll be like a demand or anything big, but I think he could be in a spot where he could be like, it could be floated through like some kind of not Sham's woes level source, but like, a, you know, the next tier of NBA reporters. Yeah, we'll see if – I don't think he, he's the type of guy who would have malcontent, but this is the third yeah, year. He's not typically. playing. I don't think that's Yeah, the third, like... well, and the third year is typically the one where young guys, like, figure it out a little bit, especially centers. It takes them three or four years. So, if he can't play, he can't really figure it out. So, yeah. it also matters, like, if he if he is in that situation where he feels that's the case, maybe they're like, hold on, like, we're going to figure out this Turbonus thing soon. Like, just chill. So, I suppose I, – I like, I get why he would do it, but I don't think he's going to do it. Yeah, I, I think it's run a call like malcontent. I mean, he would be right to demand, not demand, but to ask for uh, go to another place if he's not playing, right? Because he deserves yeah. to be completely not playing. They sh- they should be looking. Yeah. Back. So I mean, like, I, I don't think it's like him being bitter about something. It's the fact that he's behind two centers who are you know two of the best, what fifteen centers in the NBA. So it's kind of hard to find minutes, and he should go someplace where he can be the backup center, where he can be the fiftieth best center in the league in and get minutes. That is fair. That is fair. Can we move on to a front court guy who outplayed him very quickly last year? Yes. Uh, so that guy is O'Shea Bursette. Uh, I'll do my question first for him. Mine's a pretty obvious one. I don't remember what yours is now, but mine was how real is his three-point shooting percentage? Yes. Our first overlapping question. Is that it? Is I didn't even look at it. I know, I, know, I know you wrote them down. Oh, I guess he put outside shooting is legit. So it's his outside yeah. shooting legit was mine as well because he both from watching the Mad Ants – and a little bit with the Raptors, you know, I, I think I get it that he is a good defender or at least an average defender in the NBA, which means he's like rotation level and he's got, he can put it on the floor like one time and, and make something happen. Right. He's like got those things down, which means even if he's not a shooter, he can be like a ninth to 12th guy on an NBA roster. Right. That that's fine. That's a minimum guy. But if his three is legit, like last year, remember he took how 80, he only took 80. So that's very low. And he he's the opposite of Goga and Summoner, right? In the G League, he's hit 29% of his uh, 211 threes in the G League, right? So if he if his three's not legit, then he's like a barely guy you should play. Like he's your last guy in the rotation. Whereas if his outside shot is legit, you have to play him every game, basically. So it, it's huge for both his upcoming season and how he fits in the rotation. And so the team as well. Yeah, the good part about his three pointing last year was it like there wasn't this weird concentration of games. Pretty much for all twenty one games he played, and he shot well from three. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like we he, kept thinking, we kept saying, "Oh, it's gonna drop off eventually." Yeah, like he, had, you know, his his sixth game he played in, he was three of five. His eleventh one or tenth one, he was four of seven. The last one he played in last year he was five of eight. So like it wasn't this weird thing where like he just took off his first ten games where he shot from three. It would be like a pretty normal percentage. He just consistently shot well uh, from there. I think he was. I mean, I, I think one point he's like in the fifty percent, which is obviously not gonna hold, but. um yeah, I mean, if he is a not even like 40%, but 38% three-point shooter legitimately on like two attempts per game, let's call it. Uh, and he, you know, he has the versatility, like you said, to basically guard fours and maybe the occasional three and even the occasional center in, in certain spots. Uh, that that that's like almost a starting level player in, in the league. Basically, that's that's your that's your basically prototypical stretch four that's not like one of the best, you know, five players in the league, like a Kawhi or LeBron or P, PG kind of stretch four. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I remember when Tom Hankins, the Madden's head coach, was on this podcast, he talked about with O'Shea how in the G League with both the Raptors 905 and with the Madden's, his threes and shots in general were really hard, right? He had to dribble himself to create a lot of his shots from both three and two, whereas with the Pacers, basically all of them was, oh, look, there's O'Shea open in the corner, right? So I think that lends you to think that his percentage should be better in the NBA. He continues to take those kind of shots. Um, but how high can it be? Like you said, 38% still clearly a rotation guy. If he gets like 34, you're all of a sudden that last guy. If you get to his G League number of 29, then you get to the point where like there's a chance Jeremy Lamb plays well enough to like get him out of the rotation even because then your your backups could be like Lamb, Duarte, Holiday, Craig, and then there's no room for him. So the shot is important for both him, the team, and his future. I think he'll be adequate at it just given how easy his attempts will be, but it's, it's, it's huge for him. Yeah, I think the good thing about him – is, is is his defensive and switchability and ability probably to play with either center, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, you could make a case, well, if his shooting is good, he'll be really good for touching the floor with when he plays with Sabonis. His defense will be really good because he can guard the fours and let Turner just focus on the rim protection when it comes to uh, on that end when it's just him and Turner. Either. So that, that he's just – he has some versatility in the three-point percentage kind of pushes him over the top versus being kind of like a an average four to like a borderline starting four. I agree. I think we should move to Tory Craig. Yes, we should. So you can go first this time. I, I do not have the same question as you. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's here for defense to me. And and there's been some suggestion from Carlisle that like in the wake of the Warren injury, his signing was a little more important. Sure. Uh, but I, I think a lot of the appeal for him was was defense. And that's most of what's been asked about him in interview sessions with the team. So is he going to be one of the best five defenders on the team? If the Pacers are up 101-99, which in the modern NBA is like a low scoring game. Uh, 109-108 with 10 seconds left, and the other team has the ball. Is Torrey Craig going to be good enough on defense this year or, or useful enough to be in that five that's out there just to play defense? I think he should be, given what we know of him right now, but that will kind of define how I feel of him as a utility guy because, you know, if, if they go Turner, O'Shea, Justin Holiday as their 3-4-5, like that's probably good too, but I think Craig is probably better than both Holiday and O'Shea right now on defense if I had to, to grade him on that end. Hmm. Um, but can he be enough? To, to be in that five, I think will kind of define how useful he can be all season. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. For for me, the, the, the one question I had was, and this is probably not the perfect comparison, but is he going to be more like a, a Justin Holiday type signing or a Tyreek Evans type signing, right? Both guys, and I told you a little more money, both guys are signed a one-year deal, kind of the last guy signed. Uh, and, you you know, and opposition Holiday turned into a, like a immediately a rotation player, seventh man like at a minimum like that is Craig going to be that level or will he be more towards like the not quite start, you know, not quite even making the top nine. Um, yeah. His, he's a two-year deal. So it's a little different, but right. That, that is yeah. certainly where on the spectrum does he land between those two guys? I, I mean, I guess I'm thinking more, he signed to like, it's not quite a minimum deal. It's just above the minimum deal, but it's basically like this very much of like try it out this year. Cause I, I think it's a very tradable contract in one year. Like I don't think Definitely. they won't have, any trouble unloading it if they decide they need to move on from his money next year. Yeah. Craig Lamb and Turner can get you basically anybody in the league, but who's counting? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's might be why they signed him for all we know. It's not, but yes. Um, well, I, okay. it's not the main reason, but there's always some of that of like, you need, you need a, 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 a diversity of salaries to be able to make trades. Just saying. Well, squeeze Nate Hinton into this segment. Yeah. Uh, he was with the Mavs and Carlisle last year as well. Didn't play very much in the NBA. But uh, do you, what's your question for Nate Hinton? The simple one is, is can he make the team? I mean, I know that's probably a, a, 
a no, but any of these exhibit 10 guys that come in, uh, it's like, do they have any shot at trying to push Keelan off that last spot? Yeah. I think the guards just given the positions have a better chance. I, I didn't even think of that question because I don't think he can make the team unless he yeah. shoots like a hundred percent on threes in preseason or something. Um, but I kind of thought about the G league a little bit, you know, because for another guy we'll talk about here later, they're on exhibit tens that if they'll get a bunch of money uh, to go play for the Mad Ants, right? So can Nate Hinton be the next O'Shea Brissett, right? Because in the G League last year, uh, he played for two different squads because I don't think the Mavs have a direct affiliate yet, which is strange. But um, in the games, he actually played a lot for San Antonio last year, right? 11 points per game, shot 47% from two and 32% from deep. So not like awesome stats, but he was a really good rebounder, seven a game as a forward guard guy. So can he have that O'Shea Brissett emergence with the Mad Ants where he's the guy they give the 10-day to if they open up a roster spot midseason? That's kind of how I'll think, okay, well, you know, can they hit and do that? Can he can he get onto the Pacers that way this year? That could be how his season is a success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the probably dream scenario for any guy that's on the G League roster, right, is to have the O'Shea. I mean, I'm thinking back to like even – um what was it? Chris Milton was kind of that role where you were on a G League team have a really, really good season, get get on in the back end, injuries get you into the rotation, and all of a sudden you're kind of an NBA player. So yeah, that's that's the dream. If you're the Pacers do, I mean, I think every year we've done this pod, right? Trey McKinney Jones, Stephon Hicks, Ben Moore, um, O'Shea last year. They've they give one Mad Ant a chance like every year, right? And yeah, some, sure. sometimes like in, in the case of Ben Moore and, and obviously O'Shea, that guy ends up good enough to make the team the next was, year. Was Poitras uh, Neo- a Mad Ant guy or was he a two-way guy? Who? Alex Poitras, and they give him a shot too? No, he bit? was a two-way guy. He okay. was a two-way guy. I'm just talking raw promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember what, right. what he was signed to. So, yeah, I mean, that always is an option and I think is alluring for some guys that the Pacers do that to the Mad Ants. So, yeah, that, that's – I mean, we'll get to – Terry Taylor, the other exhibit tent guy later. I have a little different question for him, but yeah, that could be Nate Hinton's his path, right? If he if he can't make the team through preseason, he still has that option if he impresses with the ants. Yep. All right. Let's uh, move on from a guy who probably won't make the team to a couple guys who are definitely going to be, well, actually the next three guys top will definitely be on the roster next season. But first, today's sponsors. And first off, we are brought to you by Indeed. General managers ask questions to find the right players, like, do they have ice in their veins? When you're hiring, you can use Indeed assessments to help make sure you find the candidates with the skills you need. When hiring is hard, you need Indeed, the job that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all your hiring in one place, even the interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. These hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality job candidates and resumes on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, choose from 135 skill tests to help make sure you're finding applications with the people with the skills that you need. According to Talentness, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join the more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And get started right now a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash locked. That's $75 job credit at Indeed.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D, Indeed.com slash locked. And we are also brought to you by our wonderful friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is that wonderful protein bar company. We've been talking this podcast now for almost two years, it feels like. And they a delicious protein bar and nine amazing flavors with a bunch of limited offer ones. Everything from coconut to cherry barcia to mint brownie, German chocolate. They make these great 100% covered in chocolate protein bars that are high in 
protein, each one is 7 to 18 grams. They're not too many calories, 130 to 180. They're healthy. They're great. I said it before over and over again, but for, I love these built bars, my mid-afternoon snack right between meals to kind of fill you up to end out your day. And right now, go to built.com and promo code LOCK15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. Get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Tony. The next player we have, I promise it would be a guy who was for sure going to make the roster next year, and that is Justin Holiday. I believe I went first last time, so you can go first this time. Sure. So I'll do something similar to McConnell for Justin because we know what he is, right? The last two years, they both, McConnell and Justin Holiday, have been very reliable bench players slash kind of in the starting five or closing five sometimes guys who have a very defined set of skills and got better from their first year with the Pacers to their second year with the Pacers, right? Like Justin was a better defender last year. He played with more lineups, was a little more versatile. His stats don't really show it as much, but he was pretty valuable for this team. So what is his next step forward, right? We talked about with McConnell, maybe it's outside shooting. Maybe it's a little bit more defense. Maybe it's getting a little farther to the rim. What is that for Justin, right? He's not good at, at drawing fouls, right? And we'll talk about that with another player pretty soon. He averages like one free throw attempt per game, which is pretty low for a guy who shoots almost 10 times a game. He averaged over 10 points a game, basically all made shots last year, right? He doesn't pass or set up guys very well. And I'm not thinking he's just going to like magically pop up with these skills that he turns 33 this season, but you know, what can he find another thing that he's really good at and being a three and D guy who can fit in any lineup. That's still great. Still very valuable player to have on your team, but you know, can he, this is his first off season in forever where he went like he changed teams every season from 2016, 17, until last summer, right? And he was still a free agent last summer. So this was his first non-free agency summer in forever. How much did that stability help him? Can it help him take a step forward in any way that makes him more valuable? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think he needs to be more valuable considering Oh, I, think, I mean, every player should try to become more valuable. Yeah, but I mean, he's going to be, what, 32 <laughs> years old this year? I mean, I think if he just basically goes back to what he was kind of basically pre-being a starter last year, I mean, that's that to me. Hit 40 percent of your threes and everybody will smile. And, and wait. Yeah. And that's kind of what 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 my question is. Transfer kind of transition to that is that like, what does it look like when he goes back to, let's say, the seventh man role? And can he actually be that like all year versus like having to jump to the starting lineup every time something gets hurt? Um, I think we saw it best in 1920 when him and McDermott were basically the sixth and seventh man off the bench. The team was like really good firing on, on all cylinders, basically. So uh, last year, he just got kind of, I think. The efficiency went down slightly because he was stretched too thin, playing 30 minutes, being uh, the team's number three, you know, player basically at times at, in, the, in the third position. So it just, I just think last year for him was, was a, not not a bad year, but like it definitely was a drop down in the performance with just efficiency overall. Yeah, 30 minutes is too much for him. I mean, he's no, 25. He's, again, he's a valuable yeah. guy, but he should not be playing 2,000 minutes for your NBA well, team. Well, there's a reason he makes $6 million and not 16, right? I mean, yeah. six, well, six, we thought he actually got underpaid. He probably should be like a $9 million guy. Yeah, it really sh- should be. Yeah. But I mean, but not 16. Right but now. a guy making what he makes is a guy who's like, your rotation is like, I mean, it's what Tory Craig makes just slightly less. Like, it's a guy who's like right in your rotation is solid, but you don't expect him to be like awesome playing you know, start level minutes. So, right. Last year, remember he started at the two quite often, right. Alongside McDermott when they were missing both Karras and Warren or Vic and Warren or whatever, like Jeremy Lamb started eight games, but basically all the rest were holiday McDermott when they didn't have Levert and Warren. And then he played back up to and back up through like he was all over the place and it, it, his role will probably switch this season when Warren comes back, but you know, maybe just playing the three will have, will offer him some more stability. Hopefully. Um, all right. Let's go on to our next guy. And that's Isaiah Jackson. 
and I'll go first this time. Um, my question for him is, does he play any significant minutes outside garbage time? I think we'd be surprised if he did 19 years old. Uh, the Pacers, what, 21 overall selection this year, like, or 22, 22. Wow. It's amazing how quickly I forget what pick guys went. Like it's only <laughs> been about a month um, anyways. So does he play any minutes outside garbage time? I'd be surprised if he did, uh, but we think he'll get some minutes. I mean, but he's young developing. Like if he didn't play a single minute this year, I wouldn't be like distraught over it. Yeah. I, I mine was similar. Can he find a way onto the court? Like garbage time he'll play and, He's getting, again, he's getting a lot of praise from a lot of people, public facing praise, which is great. And that means, you know, they're impressed by him, but you know, we've seen what praise and training camp actually means is not necessarily a lot. And he's a rookie, so he shouldn't play that much anyway. So, you know, if he gets in garbage time and his defense is amazing and he like gets every rebound and is dunking all over everybody like, yeah, you got to find a way to get him in there, but can he find a way to get on the court? If not, it doesn't matter. I don't think that would make me be like, wow, what a bad season for him. But in terms of a question that could like change his season or change the Pacers season, like if he's good enough to play, that'd be huge for them this year and for several years. Yeah. I, I don't think you even know this year. I mean, I think I, I agree. Maybe by next year, you would know. I think, right. I feel like with the last, I don't month, even know about next year. The last, just good because rookie- that in theory, next year, they'll still have the following players under contract Goga, Tory Craig, Justin Holiday. And O'Shea Brissett, right? So even then, you might not know. Yeah, but you kind of know if a guy is is, is going to be like at least kind of good. Like, remember, so like Miles Turner's the last kind of big first round pick they've taken, and they they pretty much made sure he started right away because they just kind of knew he was going to be good. I mean, yeah, well, something with PG when in the two thousand nine, I think or ten, whatever year it was, his rookie year. Like, if Isaiah is just like kind of like you know he's going to be good, they'll find a way to play him, even if it's like just sneaking in over Goga, honestly, at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah. That'd be very more. That'd be more damning for Goga than praise for Isaiah to me, honestly. Maybe. But maybe he just is like really, really good. You never know. I mean, that's... Yeah. Oh, he could. Yeah, he could be. I mean, again, the pra- the, the he is getting gassed up by ev- anyone who who has a mic in front of their face. True. So, um, a guy who should be getting gassed up though is is Sabonis. <laughs> uh, Sabonis is the Pacers, I think, best player. Uh, and you can go first on your question. Sure. This was kind of similar to a question I I thought about with him last year, uh, and Sabonis has gotten. big steps forward every year of his career, right? Last year, he got better over 20 points a game. Dominic glass guy, still an all-star got a little better from deep, almost seven assists per game, like a lot of steps forward. So I think the next step for him and the way he plays makes this a very hard step for him. Admit it. I think even he'll admit that, but how can he get more free throws? Because he plays around the basket so much, but, but, he doesn't shoot the easiest shots because they're always pretty contested. He's not the best outside shooter. So his efficiency is still good. You know, with the Pacers, it's been hovering about a little under 60%, which is again, very solid, but he could become like an elite guy on offense. If he could get a lot of free throws up and he does have a lot of contact, but he always tries to plow through it because he's just so strong and determined. And that's good. Like he finishes some plays because of that, but if he could sell contact a little better or, just be a little quicker with his moves to make those fouls a little more damning uh, looking for the defense. I think getting up from five to like seven free throws a game would make him a, a like an all-star lock, but be like a more efficient and more well-defined player. Yeah. So my question is basically the same. just a little bit different, but it's like, can he take a leap offensively? And you know that with the free throws is one of the ways he can, he can do that. Um, I mean, I, he's going to get paired to Jokic basically at any, any turn. Because they're both European. You shouldn't. Center. You're, you're, really, you're no, the but, only person who does that still. Well, no, but like offensively, his season last year 
pretty much tracks on the season Jokic had in, in 18, 19, 19, 20. I mean, you, you like lay the sets out each other. They're very similar stats. Uh, and that's one reason you compare them because they're both passing bigs. I mean, the thing about Jokic is he's turned over the ball less, which is the thing Simone has to get better at for sure. Uh, and he shoots a little bit better from the free throw line, but same amount of attempts basically, and shoots a little better from from two. And so, I mean, Sabonis could easily be a twenty five point again guy if he just tweaked of all those things. I'm talking about just slightly better next year. He would go from twenty points to twenty five points because I think he's got the same amount of attempts because he's, I mean, he's just that efficient of an offensive player. Even if at the numbers he was last year, he's just more efficient than anybody else on the court basically. Yeah, he's still top twenty five in the league in free throw attempts per game last year. Although he played a ton of minutes, so it's going to help. But you know, he gets to the even just like a, a Julius Randle, six free throws a game level, which is pretty attainable to me for him, then I think that would that would help his game quite a bit. Yeah, and I I think he can. I mean, I think he's the one player where we, we probably are underestimating how much of, of a jump he could take again. Because he's I agree, I agree. Four, I mean, every he could, year he's done it so far. I see no reason why he can't continue. Yeah, I mean, even last year I felt like he you could. I mean, the the three points are just gonna get better. I mean, I don't know why it wouldn't. He's a he's a pretty good jump shooter from like. 15 feet like he, he has good form it's not like he's got this, this clunky shot you know you just got to keep you just got to keep taking attempts and build build up you know the repertoire and i think he could easily next year be a 35 percent three-point shooter on two and a half attempts that is uh that is possible that would be huge for him i'm not i'm not so sure he can be given his form but you know what yeah, but it's that 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 bad. I mean, and you just we, brought up Jokic's stats. Like Jokic went from this 30, 32 percent three point shooter to 39 all of a sudden last year. Yeah, I don't know if he can make that leap, but I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the thing is like, at, you, that's why I said the number of Jokic. Like he's at Jokic's pre MVP numbers, which before the MVP, which was really good. And Jokic had the the playoff resume. It's a totally different thing than than Spons has because he, you know, Jokic yeah, and Jokic was, had more way more perimeter skills to me. And and yeah, he, he beyond yeah, statistically too. The reason I will just never ever compare them is. The Jokic creates for others in a way that is just insane. Like he totally. throws dudes open with like ridiculous flair and timing. And it's like players don't see it coming. Whereas most of Sabonis's assists and creation while still valuable is like screens and handoffs and stuff. So it's, it's yeah. Just- Sabonis is the, is different. Cause I think there's a, he's probably one of the better screen assist players. Like, and he's just like his, his isn't always having the ball. It's just always being around the ball. It makes him so yep. effective. Right. Jokic is the ball in his hands. is super effective. Where Sabonis is like, you run him in any action, he can really help you. He can get you four and threes a lot of times on double teams and stuff like that. So, anyways. Um, all right. So, we got three players left. Uh, Turner, Terry Taylor, and Warren. And we'll do those next. But first, today's Locked On Patriots podcast is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season is back. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams start there. I think head into week four this week. And as always, BetOnline.ag it's your number one spot for all pro football and college football action this season. With a new updated site interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline Dieting continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website today or use a mobile device to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That means you put $100 down, it'll give you $53. Use promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for a 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag from football to basketball, to boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. All right, is it my turn to go first, or is it yours? I'm now, I've lost track. Uh, I think I, I went first for Sabonis, so you're I believe you're right. So my question for Turner, it actually is kind of similar to Sabonis, but it's 
a little more open-ended because I think I don't know where it goes from here, but like what's next for Turner's improvement? He also has basically improved, improved every year at something, right? He hasn't made like this like concrete step-by-step offensive improvement, but like one year it's whether it's being better rim protecting, better at guarding perimeter defense. Like he always brings a new skill set with him each year. It feels like in, in into the season. So what's the next move he makes, whether it's defensively or offensively? I, I don't know the answer to that. I'd love to see if he could play like, you know, guard like threes almost because I think he does sometimes have the size and he like understands how to move well in some ways. Like we've seen it in the past where he's been able to take like a Devin Booker one on one and kind of block him at the rim on, on a drive. And that would be really interesting to see if he could be like kind of the Pacers like defensive stopper, not just the rim protector. Um, but I don't know what he's going to do, what he's going to bring, but I'm sure it'll be something he brings new to his game this year. Yeah. Last year, you know, the defense was obviously amazing. Like he was the blocks per game leader in the league and. Uh, his, you know, his perimeter de- or his, excuse me, his, his paint defense, he had a lot of opportunity because of Bjork ball, which made him look like an awesome defender. But to me last, you know, that was a big step for him. But to me last year, his biggest improvement was finishing, right? He got up to a oh, well over yep. 70% finishing around the basket, which was big for him because he always had some, and he still has this at times. I've always called it uh Nurkic-itis, but you know, he'll get around the rim and get a little timid and either like not dunk or just go up soft. And that happened a lot less last year. Uh, he was much better. In those ways, he was a lot more confident. So yeah, if he doesn't have the confidence. That's the word. Like sometimes that he always has been he, huge for him. He huge. looks fr- like when he not when last con- year in the past, no, not last year. It. But when he's confident around the rim, even if he missed it, it just like it feels like a better shot. Where like a lot of times you see him hesitate, and then the whole thing's screwed up because he just like oh. Mark Montes was the first to notice, but now everyone on the Pacers beat has brought it up at some point too. But you can even tell when his threes are confident, like where he lands, like it's either farther back versus farther forward. It's just, it's like a drastic form change. It's very fascinating. Well, do you, there, there's one game I'm thinking of, I think it was against Boston three seasons ago now where like he hit almost like the, either the game winning or game ceiling shot. And like, it's because he caught the ball in the post turn and shot. No, no think, no, I think he just, confidence drained it versus it like right he's taking a shot like that over and over again and misses it because he thinks too much falls off the wrong foot whatever it is so yeah when he's and when remember he's like, when, when we had the confidence it. discussion with him last year a lot of it manifested to us too and like when he used to catch the ball mostly because mcmillan just had him reverse it a lot but like he would kind of hesitate or like think you know and and it would pause stuff and kind of gunk it up whereas last year no matter what he was doing dribble pass shot whatever right away like the second he caught it he made that immediate decision because he's, so he's a step. thoughtful person. He, he likes to overthink things. I mean, it's the right. It <laughs> Sometimes in basketball, you, you can't be the thoughtful guy. You just got to go. So springing off of, you know, his improvement from last year that I mentioned earlier, finishing also combining that with things we've heard from Rick Carlisle, where he wants to use him as this lob threat. How much does Miles Turner roll to the basket after screening this year is my question for him. If he actually becomes this dynamic threat, we're picking and popping and picking and rolling are both options. The defense kind of has to, react i think that would be nice for the pacers because he could get more opportunities around the rim and the defense is reacting to what's happening versus just okay we expect him to pop we can bring the the big man defender up a little higher in that instance you know i think that's been a consequence of him always popping in his in his career Uh, so mixing it up adds some, some variation there that i'm looking forward to seeing and in general just you don't want to be the team reacting on the basketball court, right? You want to be the team that's making the other team react on the basketball court. So if they can mix it up and, and use that finishing in a, in a positive way that allows them to show off some athleticism to, to catch on the basket and make those quick decisions, maybe he can look a little more variable and dynamic on offense. Yeah. I, I think his, his screen game. So we saw what he used to do screen and pops with Collison a lot. And I don't know if that was much as him or Collison just being really good at setting that up a lot, but if he could like, be not, you know, let's call it like 7% of where Sabonis' screen game is. That would really 
like help him play by himself more to center. I feel like that was his biggest issue in the bubble was like he just couldn't quite get the screen as well as Sabonis could. And, he, you know, Sabonis is one of the best screeners in the league, so it's like it's hard to do. But he, he could be – if he gets a little better at it, it would really at least put give him like more skills to use and just sit in the corner on the offensive end of the floor. Collison was better at finding him than anyone in the league. And lo and behold, Adam, uh, Turner's two seasons with Darren Collison just happened to be his two highest shooting percentage seasons from three-point range. Well, Collison league. just had that behind-the-back pass to him, like, down. Yeah, he right? yeah, he was that great at pop it. pop was like – I mean, like, I, I think I was still writing for any course, and that pick-and-pop play was, like, one of the, like, most, like, most run offensive plays for him that season. And he just did it over and over and over again because it was just, like, really easy to get that shot open. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe um, maybe they can find another way to get that mixed in there a little bit more. But again, the role threat is a big thing. It's just his usage in general. Right. He's talked about at media day that for years he's been wanting a slightly bigger role, whereas his usage has dropped literally every year of his career since um, since Vic joined the Pacers, basically in 2017, 18. So can he get back to like 18, 19 percent usage instead of 16, which is crazy low for a guy of his talent, even though. It does make sense that he's the low option in, in the starting five. Yeah, I'm gonna one more thought and we can move on to, to Terry Taylor. But I, I wonder at one point in his career if he should have just been like given the, the range of the offense to fail a bunch so that it would have like let him grow faster. I feel like he, he was kind of supposed to get it in 2017, 18 after after George got traded, but then Vic became so good it didn't matter. But like I wonder if that maybe in some ways stunted his growth offensively because he kind of was like never given like here's 15 shots a game, see 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 what can happen kind of thing. Uh, because, you know, he wasn't as good as Vic, basically, in, in 17, 18. Anyways. Yep. Uh, all right. So, but Terry Taylor, uh, I'll let you go You go first this time, right? Okay. Instead of can he make the team, because I don't think he can, like Nate Hinton, um, I am going to go to can he be Alizé Johnson 2.0? Alizé was a little taller than Terry Taylor, but Alizé grew a lot in his senior year of college, so there's a little bit of a bad comparison here, but they both were like these wing guards who were just insane rebounders for their size. So Terry Taylor, uh, his last three years of college. Oh, I don't think I call. Oh yes, you can. Okay. His last three years of college, 21.3 points, 10.3 runs per game in three seasons. Right. So as a sophomore, this dude's just grabbing every rebound as a six foot five guy. So Alizé just put up these insane G league stats, but even in college, Terry Taylor was at the rebounding level of Alizé. So can he be the next Alizé, the guy who puts up such good G league stats that you kind of have to think about maybe he can be, you know, this kind of goes back to Hinton, but can he be Alizé in the G League enough to the point that the Pacers go, all right, let's try him on a 10-day. Let's get him out there and see what he is. So uh, can he be that guy who just has this insane motor for his size that makes you think, all right, we got to try this. We got to see what this is. Did Alizé ever get a two-way deal or no? No, he get, he got drafted and got a, a one-year guaranteed and then the second-year non-guaranteed deal. But he still got the second-year guaranteed because he was good. Right, similar to, well, I guess he didn't think here, but like kind of a Cassius Stanley type contract, but yeah, guarantee. Yeah. Well, he had a two way, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're right. He had a two way. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, my, my question was like, how good can this G League stats be? Not to kind of be yeah, like, more there, but like, I think I they're going to look ridiculous. He's not going to make the team. So, like, how good can he, you know, can he be a, what, what we're thinking, like 15 and 14 in the G League, something crazy like that? Well, uh, what were Alize's stats? You probably have them up. Bit, not, not like crazy. What 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 were Alize's stats? You said them earlier. Uh, I'll, no, I I pulled up his college stats. Let me pull up his G League stats really quick. Yeah, because I mean but they I were they were hilarious. Yeah, I mean a lot of I mean 
frankly, so were TJ Leaf, I remember, right? So okay, like a he lot played of- 30. Alizé Johnson's rookie year, he played 31 games with the Mad Ants, 19.1 points per game, 14 rebounds. Okay, so that, could he do that? I mean, that's kind of the question. Uh, and with the Mad Ants, his second year, he didn't play as much. Uh, still almost 20 games. He was over 20 points and still at 13 rebounds. What did Goga? Goga would have like 35 a game, right, in the G League? <laughs> yeah, DJ like Leaf. Fingers- big men do awesome, and Terry Taylor's a little more of like, and he's 6'5", but he plays kind of inside. It's weird. But even yeah. per 36 minutes in summer league, um, I can't I, – Terry Taylor was over 12 rebounds, right? So, like, he was still grabbing him. He just didn't play very much. So, I'll be curious to see how he looks in, in, the, in the G League level. Yeah. All right. Or let's even move. in the preseason. He might play for the Pacers in the next couple of days. True. All right. Let's, let, let's move on to the last – I would say probably one of the most important players. we got to have the same question here, though. Well, uh, mine's slightly different, but it's I'll let you you do yours first. TJ Warren, you know, he went first last time. TJ Warren, yeah, I mean, his season to me, both his and how the Pacers season could be defined is when does he come back, right? If he misses forty games, they're going to suffer, right? He was one of their best wing defenders and shot creators when he played. The record with him is very good. In the two years he's been here, the record without him is not very good. In the two seasons since he's been here, when does he come back? They they might you know they might need him, they might not if they can get help from the other guys. But the snacking has always been a problem for them. Guys are in bigger roles. So when does he come back? I mean, that that's a huge question for him. Yeah, did you know they're a, they're a top four team with him and a and a bottom sixteen without <laughs> yeah, him? barely a ninth seed without him. Yeah, um, my question is really similar to yours. It's what does he look like when he returns after right. not playing? For, what, is, what will be a full a full year? I mean, okay. basically, I mean it won't be quite. Well, actually, it will be because well, he played late December, right? That's when the season started. Yep. So I'm. I guess it'll be like ten months, but like. He barely played. So, like, you know, how will he look? Will he be back at some point to his uh, 1920 season of almost 20 points per game? Or is it going to be, you know, a slow process because it's a foot injury and, you know, he's kind of a bigger dude. And that's a, that's an issue for a lot of just like guys that use their feet a lot is if your foot is in trouble, that's not necessarily the, the best thing for an NBA player. You remember that first game against the Knicks? Like he was obviously limping during the game. Not. I chose obviously over noticeably, which is a word people use when looking at guys limping uh, in a basketball game. But like for him, it was like he would catch the ball and be limping while dribbling. You know, like it, it was way more profound. Well, and, and he fought through plantar fasciitis right the year before a bunch. And right. Might have yeah. been related to that, to be honest. And then he yeah. looks better in the next three games, too. Like I get why he fought through it. But his stats then even he shot 53 percent from the field despite missing all his threes. He scored decently well. Like even if he can be at that level, that's not like close to the guy he was two years ago, but that's still good and better than whoever else they'd be starting at the three. So yeah, yeah what level I, he's at does matter quite a bit. do wonder, I mean, I, I'm sure there's similarities between the plantar fasciitis and the foot injury. I wonder if him being a no pain will actually eventually let him get to a better place, right? It might not initially, but like there's something to say when you're like a basketball player and you're playing through kind of just a, a painful thing when you finally don't have that pain, how much easier it is to play, especially if it's and, not like, um, like an injury that like kind of like, exact like confidence right he didn't like fall weirdly so he didn't like to think about that he just you know has to just basically just make sure he doesn't like i don't know has the right like like orthotics in his shoe and runs correctly which he's always been fine at right so we'll see um it, this kind of goes to the knicks uh I'll, I'll get to where the pacers come in here but i keep seeing this from people who cover the knicks and this is a very good argument like they signed kemba and a lot of people have rightly pointed out Kemba wasn't that good for the Celtics last year. Like he was very inconsistent, battling injuries and all that. And I I agree with that. But for the Knicks perspective specifically, even kind of not good Kemba Walker is substantially better than Alfred Payton, who started a ton for them last year, right? So go taking that to TJ Warren, 
it, I, I get that TJ Warren could be hurt and looking a little worse. And if he's that guy, he was in the first game of the season last year. Yeah. That's not that helpful. But even if he's just okay, like last year with the Suns, TJ Warren, that's better than any alternative they would have starting at small forwards. That's still a jump that is very important for the team. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think the, the only issue it could be is if he is kind of not out of shape, but you know, just not in game shape that could actually be, look worse than even the players he, you know, was replaced by last year. But I don't think that, yeah. even if it's not in game shape, I don't think it's going to last more than a couple of weeks. I mean, yeah, and so long as he's not literally a detriment, I, you just slam him out there and let him. Yeah. Play. And I think even if he is right, not in game shape, it takes four, 10, I mean, four to 10 games, five, five to 10 games, I guess to kind of get there anyways. So, and then he'll be fine. I mean, I just it's kind of, it'd be similar to, to Karis was last year when he came back a little bit. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see how many games he's out for. That's, that's obviously the, the biggest question. Like you said, yeah, I agree. We, we will see. You know, if, if it's if the timelines we got, if, if the scan in three weeks is is awesome and rosy and maybe he'll only miss like a, a month of the season or a month and a half or whatever. Great. That's awesome. I mean, it sucks because it's the hardest part of their schedule. But if it's more than that, then we start getting to the the oh boy point. So we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, all right. You got, you got anything else on the backcourt players? Frontcourt players? Sorry. Frontcourt players. Front court players. Uh, no, I, I do not. That I mean. That was it. We just finished our look. I mean, I guess Monday's show technically, but that was our last like off season ish podcast. Cause next Monday we're previewing preseason games. They play the Knicks next Tuesday. Yeah. So we have, like I said, at the start of the podcast, we did a kind of backcourt preview yesterday to so check out that podcast. We did some cares over injury news earlier in the week and also did some media day. So if you want to check out those podcasts, you can catch them on this podcast feed. As always, you can follow our podcast at locked on Pacers at Twitter. Tony at Teased MBA, me at Freedom Adam 5. That is all for his Locked On Pages podcast. We'll see you guys again next week.